This is a teaching from Grace River Church in O'Fallon, Missouri. Our prayer is that this sermon will help inspire you to take the next step of your faith with Jesus Christ. Hey, what's up? My name is Chris Seifel. I'm lead pastor here at Grace River Church. I want to say thank you so much for watching online at home today. Uh, today is Palm Sunday sermon, and so I'm excited uh, to preach today. But the, we're talking, really wrapping up a series uh, called The Good News. And at Grace River, we talk about the good news a lot. The good news is just simply this is that you don't have to achieve anything when it comes to God loving you. It's simply believing and receiving what God has already done for you. And so we're celebrating that at Easter uh, this coming weekend. And so Easter weekend is coming up. We have five Easter weekend services, April 15th, April 16th, and April 17th. I want to encourage you uh, to come out to one of our in-person services. Don't come alone. Bring some friends with you. Bring some coworkers, some neighbors family members, some friends, like who, whoever. Uh, it's going to be an awesome service. You will not want to miss it. And we're going to be talking about the hope that we have because of Easter. And so uh, this sermon today is helping us lead up to uh, Easter, to Passion Week. And so uh, the story uh, of Palm Sunday is quite the story. And so it's also known as the triumphal entry. And so uh, today we're going to be talking about unexpected entrances, all right? Unexpected Entrances. I don't know if you've ever had an unexpected moment in your life. I'm sure you have, uh, where you got some news that you weren't expecting. Uh, somebody showed up that you weren't expecting to show up at a party, right? Uh, and today, uh, we're going to be talking about the unexpected entrance of Jesus. And so there are three groups of people in this story in John chapter 12. And so if you want to pull out your Version Bible app or your Bible, we're going to be in John chapter 12 today. And in this story, there are three groups of people. I want to kind of break these three groups down, and we're going to talk about each of them in a moment. Three vantage points uh, to Jesus' entry into Jerusalem is what we're going to be talking about today. And so we know there was a crowd of people there, so we're going to look at their vantage point. We know there were the Pharisees or the religious leaders. They were there. And there was also this group of disciples. There was 12 of them that, that were following Jesus around for three years up until this point. So that's where we're at in John chapter 12. These three groups of people uh, are going to be affected by this story. And it's interesting because at each one of these vantage points, I think that we can all relate to the vantage point of each of these people, the crowd, the Pharisees, uh, and also the disciples. So let's pick the story up in John chapter 12. Uh, we're actually going to be in verse 12. And so uh, you can follow along with me. The next day, uh, this is the day after Lazarus gets raised from the dead. The next day, uh, the great crowd that had heard came for the festival, heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. They took palm branches and went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the king of Israel. So it was typical during this time period when there was a victory in Jerusalem, what they would do is they would take palm branches and they would wave them. So this is the essentially like the confetti of today, right? So these, they would wave these palm branches and it meant that they were victorious. They were victorious because uh, these were Jewish people living in Jerusalem under Roman authority. And so they thought that Jesus was going to be the king, the one that would set them free from oppression, uh, from the weight of being oppressed by the Roman government. But here's the good news about Jesus. Jesus didn't come to set them free from the Roman government. Jesus came to set them free from their sins. So we go on to read in verse 14. Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it. And this was actually prophesied in the Old Testament where it says, as it's written, do not be afraid, daughter Zion. See, your king is coming seated on a donkey colt. So this is one of the 400 prophecies in the Old Testament 
that Jesus fulfilled. And so uh, he came riding in on a donkey, which was prophesied uh, before his birth, actually 400 years before his book, uh, before his birth in the book of Isaiah. Then in, in verse 16, at first the disciples did not understand all of this. Only after Jesus was glorified did they realize that these things had been written about him and that these things had been done to him. Now the crowd that was with him when they when called Lazarus from the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to spread the word about Jesus. And so then many people, because they had heard this, had heard, they had performed this sign, went to meet him. So the Pharisees, that's the other group. So you had the disciples, you had the crowd, you had the Pharisees. The Pharisees said to one another, see, this is getting us nowhere. They were threatened. They thought that because of Jesus, they were going to lose because they were going to be giving up control. See, this is getting us nowhere. Look how the whole world has gone after him. They realized they were going to be out of a day job because Jesus was coming and he was going to say this. What he was saying is, it's not about religion. It's not about achievement. That was the good news. It's about believing and receiving what he was getting ready to do on the cross for them. And so there are three perspectives that I want to talk about today, and then I'm going to give you some application. The first perspective was from the crowd. And they're simply there thinking to this, what's in it for me? And let's just be honest. When it comes to Jesus, our first take on Jesus is what does this Savior have to offer me? We're pretty selfish when it comes to our faith, if we're going to be honest, right? Uh, we, we go on to see here in verse 13, uh, they took palm branches and went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the king of Israel. They were convinced that he was king. He came riding in on a donkey, and what's interesting is, is he comes in, uh, and they think he's going to come sit on a throne, but he's not going to sit on the throne here on this earth. He's going to sit on a throne in heaven. He comes in, and they think they're convinced they're going to put a crown on him with jewels, but the crown he's about to wear is going to be on the cross, and there will be no jewels included. It will not be bedazzled uh, by any means, right? This same crowd that greeted him in John chapter 12 is also the same crowd in John chapter 19 that shouted, take him away, take him away, crucify him. You see, their faith was circumstantial. And our tendency, here's what our tendency is, it's to be self-centered leading us to deception. Our tendency is that, man, my faith is all about me, all about what can benefit me, right? And that's not the faith that Jesus wants us to have. That's not the kind of faith that makes God proud, right? He didn't come. Jesus did not come to make your life better. He came to be your life. That's what Jesus came here for. Jesus didn't come to make good people better or bad people good. Jesus came so that he could be our life and so that he could rearrange and change our lives. So the first perspective is the crowd perspective that says, man, what is in it for me? And my hope is, uh, as your friend and as your pastor, my hope is that we can move away from circumstantial faith. That instead of thinking, what is it that Jesus can offer me? Instead, what if our faith was framed up differently? And instead of thinking, what is it that Jesus could offer me? What, what if we thought this? What can I offer Jesus? See, he's laid down his life for me. It's only reasonable that I would give my life back to a God who gave me his life. So that's the first perspective, the perspective of the crowd. The second perspective, uh, we, we talked about John chapter 12, but the second perspective is religious leaders. And so uh, we, we saw the Pharisees, and the big question that they're asking, and if you're in this spot, the big question you could be asking is, what can I control? We all love control, but here's the thing about control. 
Control is an illusion. We don't really ever have control. And so uh, their perspective was, man, I want control. And my question to you today is, what do you want control over? There are things in each of our lives that we want control over that, that really, they're not ours to begin with. And it's interesting because the religious leaders of this day, they just, with a death grip, wanted control. And they hated what Jesus was up to. And so I'm going to skip back and forth here. But then perspective number three was the disciples. And they're thinking, can it not be like this? The disciples hated this potential ending. They had been following Jesus around for three years. And then Jesus begins to allude to this idea that from this point on, he began to talk about what was going to happen on the cross. From this point on, he began to talk about this necessary ending that would happen. And they're thinking, can it not be like this? We see this in, in this version of the story in Matthew's gospel, in Matthew chapter 16. From then on, Jesus began to tell his disciples plainly that it was necessary for him to go to Jerusalem, that he would suffer many terrible things at the hand of the elders, the religious leaders, and the leading priests and the teachers of religious law. Uh, he goes on to say he would be killed, but on the third day he would be raised from the dead. But Peter took him aside, one of the three disciples that he loved the most, Peter, took Jesus to the side and he said this, and he began to reprimand him. Can you imagine reprimanding Jesus, like getting onto Jesus? He reprimands him for saying such things. Heaven forbid, Lord, he said, this will never happen to you. It's interesting because Peter and the rest of the disciples didn't want this necessary ending. They didn't want Jesus to die on the cross. And after all, who would? If you'd followed Jesus around for three years, they're thinking this is over. This is all wrapped up. This is done. But what's crazy is, is that Jesus was actually just getting started because he didn't stay dead. He's alive today. And that's why we celebrate Easter. That's why we celebrate the resurrection. Not just on a spring day, uh, on a spring Sunday, do we celebrate the Easter. Instead, we celebrate Easter all year round, every single day. It's because there's an empty tomb uh, that no one is in. That's why we have the hope of Jesus. And so our lack of trust uh, in God produces blindness in our lives. And so we, we often become spiritually blind because we just simply lack a trust in him. That's what's going on with the disciples. They simply are not trusting that God had a better plan. They wanted to hang out with Jesus forever. And that makes sense, right? They're thinking, man, we're gonna, he, he's gonna totally outlive us. There's no way he's gonna die. There's no way this is gonna happen. And as you can imagine, this would come across as bad news. But what happens is, is we get blind to what really matters and we also get blinded to what God's actual plan is. So you and I get blinded to what actually matters in our lives because we want things a certain way and we don't get that certain thing, the certain way that we want it, then we're hurt. Um, I, I read something this week and it was astonishing uh, when I read it because it just fit my life perfectly and it may fit your life as well. Uh, but the, the reality is when it comes to spiritual maturity, nothing proves spiritual maturity better than when a person doesn't get what they want. I'm gonna say that again. When you don't get what you want, that is the biggest test of your own spiritual maturity. So when was the last time you didn't get something that you wanted? How was the pity party that you threw for yourself that everyone was invited to, but check this out, nobody actually showed up to it? Uh, that's the story of my pity parties and maybe the story of yours as well. And so uh, I want to talk today about this entry of Jesus, uh, not just from 
the perspective of the crowd, not just from the perspective of the disciples, not just from the perspective of the Pharisees. I want to talk about the entry of Jesus into our own lives because this, this is a historical moment that happened 2,000 years ago where Jesus rides in on a donkey with this unexpected entrance. But I want you to know today that Jesus enters into our situation oftentimes unexpectedly. And so I want to talk about when Jesus enters our situation, he creates really three things. The first thing he creates is a beautiful disruption. There's this thing where Jesus enters into my life and he enters into your life, and it's different than what we thought. And it's a little bit of a disruption. When our plans don't go our way, how do we respond, right? And we said earlier, that is the test of spiritual maturity. In, in Matthew chapter 4, verse 19, Jesus is calling the, his first group of disciples. He called unto them, come follow me and I will show you how to fish for people. And they left their nets at once and they followed him. You see, this was a disruption this day on the Sea of Galilee when his disciples were fishing, where he calls them to be disciples. It disrupted their everyday lives. And I wonder today, what is it that God is doing in your life that's disrupting your average day? What is he doing that's disrupting things in your life? And can you see something with me? This could actually work to your benefit. This disruption is actually the healthiest thing that could have ever happened to you. That's the first thing is he creates a beautiful disruption. Also, when Jesus enters into our situation, he brings a new perspective. We're often given a new perspective. We can so easily get stuck in the mundane uh, root ruts in our lives of over and over and over again, repeat, repeat, repeat. But maybe it's this, maybe Jesus is entering in and interrupting your life to kind of disrupt things and to give you a fresh and new perspective. John chapter 12, the disciples didn't understand at the time that this was a fulfillment of prophecy. But after Jesus entered into his glory, they remembered what had happened and realized that these things had been written about him. At the time, because of their perspective, the disciples did not understand why Jesus had to die. This would have been the worst news that could have came their way. And at the moment, because they had the wrong perspective, they thought it was the worst news. But after the resurrection, with a different perspective, they begin to realize and understand that, oh my gosh, this is actually what happened on the cross was the best thing that could have ever happened to any of us. The problem for them is their perspective was all wrong. And that's what happens to us when we experience pain. When we experience bad news, it's really difficult for us to see the good news that's wrapped up within it. It's almost like we like to go through drive, a drive-through window with our faith, uh, and we go through the drive-through window trying to order things for our faith, like we want to have a strong faith, right? And uh, we want to have joy that lasts no matter what difficulties we walk through. But here's what we don't want. We don't want trials. We don't want difficulties. Uh, we don't want... In fact, we, we, we like to hold the sauce on that whenever we're ordering something online, right? Or when you're ordering through a drive-through pickup window. But here's the thing. You can't skip the pain. It's inevitable. But instead, would you embrace the pain and go, man, I am going to see that there is a different perspective on my problem. Uh, our perspective should do this. It should develop uh, our relationship with Jesus. And so our, our, our perspective should develop as our relationship with Jesus deepens. And so my hope, our hope, uh, is that my perspective 
is only giving me a deeper and deeper and deeper relationship with God. And so when Jesus enters in to our situation, he, be, he begins a new perspective. And so perspective must be framed by this. This is really important. Our perspective must be framed by faith, not our feelings. Every one of us need to have our perspective framed by our faith, not by our feelings. And so also when Jesus enters into our situation, he offers us a Hosanna moment. So he offers us a moment, this Hosanna moment. Uh, and Hosanna just simply, this idea of this Hosanna moment means that I'm not gonna be crushed. This Hosanna moment offers you and I relief from the crushing weight of the world. That's what our Hosanna moment is. The Hosanna moment is our king has come and he's come to do way more than something political. In their minds 2,000 years ago in the city of Jerusalem, when he walks in, whenever he's riding on that donkey, he doesn't walk in. He, as he rides in on that donkey, they're waving palm branches victoriously because they think that this is the king that will set us free from Roman oppression. But Jesus was coming to do way more than that. This was the Hosanna moment. Matthew chapter 26, verse 38, he told them, my soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Now, he was, this was a verse in the Bible where he's talking to his disciples right before he goes to the cross. Jesus was crushed so that you and I could experience relief. Uh, he goes, he, before this in Matthew chapter 11, uh, it says this, then Jesus said, come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Jesus says, I'm coming to offer you rest. Take my yoke upon you, let me teach you because I am humble and gentle at heart and you will find rest in your souls for my yoke is easy to bear and the burden I give you is light. I wonder today if you would simply decide that I'm gonna have my Hosanna moment. That when Jesus comes in and he enters into my life, what he's offering me is a lighter life. He's not offering me an easier life, but what he's offering me is this, is that, is that the burdens and the trials and the difficulties of life, Jesus says, come to me and I will take on these problems with you. We're not gonna go around the problem, we're gonna go through the problem, but we're not gonna go through the problem alone, we're gonna go through it with him. So I've got three next steps for you to consider and for you to pray about, and they each kind of build on each other. The first next step is this, would you simply welcome the disruption? Like, would you make a decision to say, man, I'm gonna welcome the disruption of Jesus in my life? That would you just take a moment and set your pride aside for just a moment and realize that God is up to something in your life, even if it's painful, even if it's bad news? Because sometimes the worst news that we could get is actually for our benefit. We, all, we know this, but even in the difficulties that, that this is, the difficulty that you walk through is gonna be worked out for two things. It's gonna be worked out for God's glory and then also for your good. And so welcome the disruption. Also change your perspective. And you may be like the disciples and your perspective is just needing to be changed. I think about, um, when I think about the, 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 the religious leaders of the day, their perspective needed to change because they just wanted control. And if we're honest, we all love the illusion of control. We want and we desire that. And the third thing is that would you surrender your will to his? Like, would you just decide that, God, I think your plan is better than my plan. It's surrendering to what he has and going, man, I'm gonna have my Hosanna moment because you realize that Jesus came to set you free, not from a government, 
Jesus didn't come to make your life better. He came to set you free from your sins so that lost people could be found, so that dead men and women could be given new life, new hope, new perspective in the person of Jesus Christ. What is your next step? I'm gonna pray for you right now. Would you identify which one of these is? Maybe it's all three. And would you have the courage to take that next step? Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for my friends that watched online today. God, I pray each one of us would have our Hosanna moment where we recognize that your son came to set us free from our sins. God, I thank you for what we celebrate when it comes to Palm Sunday. Help us to see that we're victorious not because of our circumstances, but because of what your son has done. God, I thank you for that message of the good news. Help us to find rest, peace, and hope. And God, allow us not to have faith that is framed up in feelings, uh, but God, that instead that our faith would be framed up in trusting you. And so again, God, we thank you for what you did on the cross for us. It's in Jesus' name that we pray all of this. Amen. Thanks again for listening. We would love to see you at one of our in-person services that meet on Sunday at 8.30, 9.45, and 11 a.m. If you feel so inclined to give, you can do so at www.graceriver.cc. Have a great week.